0: Turning then in our communion sermon to Isaiah 53 and verse 3 in this wonderful, wonderful song. Thinking this morning then that our communion as we prepare for communion of Jesus as a man of sorrows. The various stages of withdrawal from a group or a person have possibly never been fully analyzed by you. But perhaps in these moments and in this sermon, as we consider them delineated in verse 3 for us, you recognize that they comply with your own experience. The stages set out here are despise, withdraw, avoid, and conclude. It was my experience on leaving a secular reading group at one point. Books of low moral content were being selected for reading, and I began to despise this experience. I withdrew from attending its monthly meeting. I avoided members in the town I would encounter who were trying to get me back to the group. And then I concluded uh, that meeting with this group had nothing of value to offer me in my Christian life. And your withdrawal from something or, or someone was possibly similar. It was a process, despising, withdrawing, avoiding, concluding. This was the behavior of the Jews towards Jesus in his public ministry, and is set out in verse three. He was despised. Then he was rejected, then he was avoided. Then he was unappreciated. This third verse advances the thought of the prophet and of this most famous song from the humility of Jesus in his birth, upbringing and public ministry in verse two, which we will study this evening. To the outright rejection of Jesus portrayed in verse 3 and such increasing rejection of Jesus by the people will culminate in the crucifixion of Jesus described in verses 4 to 6 and well known to us the experience of the rejection of Jesus is described here in four human actions that results in God's servant being called by this famous title, a man of sorrows. This title is what we call a Hebraism. It means that his entire life was filled with grief. He was a man of sorrows. Albert Barnes comments, his life was so full of sufferings that it might be said that that was the characteristic of the man A similar use of the term is found in Proverbs 29 verse one in the phrase, "A man of reproofs." That is a person who is often reproved, who receives many reproofs, a man of reproofs. Daniel 10:11, we have the phrase, "A man of desires." It's a reference to Daniel, which means that many desired his company, his wisdom, his conversation. He was a man of desires. Not that he had the desires, but that the desires were for him and for his genius. So the term a man of sorrows means a person to whom many sorrows comes. Six major rivers run into Loch Ne, don't they? The main, the Six Mile Water, the Upper Ban, the Black Water, the Ballanderi and the Myola. And this verse identifies four causes of sorrow running into the heart of Jesus. Four dark rivers, if you like, flowing into his emotions, which causes him to be titled. A man of sorrows. Firstly, he was despised. The word despised is a strong word and means to raise the head disdainfully. The phrase occurs twice in this verse, doesn't it? He was despised. It's there at the beginning. It's there at the end of verse 3. It's emphasized this first source of sorrow was powerful in his life, and it's powerful in our life. The point being pressed on us here is the Son of God, the Darling of Heaven, the Beloved of the Father, the Saviour of sinners, the Person of eternal and infinite love for the lost, was himself despised by those he came to save the point is moving the thought of the prophet on from the negative attitude to, to Jesus described in verse 2 there these, that there was a lack of esteem for him that was a negative attitude a withholding of esteem which should have been given to him keeping something back from Jesus they they didn't esteem him it's a sin of omission but here he was despised as a positive rejection of Jesus the sin of commission and while we are not big in the reformed tradition in identifying degrees of guilt and degrees of sin demarcating big sins and small sins this surely is a worse sin than verse 2 this progression in the sorrow and suffering of Jesus. It's moving us on in the chronology of Jesus' life into his full-blown ministry. In his birth and upbringing and public ministry described in verse 2, there was a lack of recognition of his true identity. It was veiled, it was hidden from the view of the people. He performed no miracles in Nazareth. Later on in verses 4 to 6, we'll arrive at his sacrificial death. But in this verse, verse 3, we have a summary of his three years of public ministry. Despite his powerful preaching, his wise answers, his stunning miracles, his God-revealing life, despite the peerlessness of his teaching and miracles, he was despised. Let's linger over this point just for a little longer. The repetition of the phrase in the verse. And the placing of the term at the very start of the verse. is emphasizing this point. Is wanting us to linger over it. To ponder it. To reflect on it. But the use of this term... In significant places in the Old Testament also emphasises its significance. This phrase is used in Genesis 25 verse 34. Esau despised his birthright. The birthright was something precious, valuable, desirable, beneficial. It involved receiving more inheritance than other siblings would receive. It contained the privilege and responsibility of carrying on the family name. But Esau despised this precious, this valuable, this beneficial commodity. He came home from hunting, you remember, starving and rashly sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew. He despised something precious. For Samuel 10, verse 27, we read, they despised him. It's a reference to people despising Saul, the newly anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. He was the choice of God, the provision of God to lead the people. But there were worthless, foolish, weak-minded fellows in Israel who despised the newly crowned king and brought him No present. Then perhaps thirdly and lastly. Most significantly in 1 Samuel 17. Verse 42 we read. When the Philistine Goliath looked and saw David. He despised him. The giant Goliath mocked the little young lad. But that young lad was God's anointed. Was God's servant. But the Philistine." despised him what historic moments of despising precious things these were despised by Esau despised by fools in Saul's day, despised by Goliath and these instances underpin and enrich this assertion about Jesus he was despised In the prophecy of Daniel, there is mention of a contemptible person. And the same word despised is used in that phrase. History has identified the person as Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a person who set up the statute of Jupiter in the very temple of God in Jerusalem and ordered a pig, an unclean animal, to be offered on the altar. And so in the prophecy of Daniel, he's described as a contemptible person, a despised person. He was justly despised. But here, Jesus, the Holy Jesus, the Savior Jesus, has been put in the same boat as Antiochus. He is despised. As we come to communion today... Our attitude to Jesus is very different, isn't it? We love him. We adore him. We worship him as the one who has loved us and given himself for us. Stretched out his hands on the cross, naked outside Jerusalem, rejected by his people, but dying in our place. Perhaps we despised him in the past, but now we love him. Now we trust him. Jesus is someone about whom none of us can be neutral. We either love and trust Jesus or we despise and reject Jesus. What group are we in today? Are we in that group that despises Jesus, that ignores Jesus, whose rules and laws and life has no claim on us, whose death means little to us? Move out of that camp of despising him, into that camp of loving him, trusting him, worshipping him, following him. Perhaps you are a Christian here today, but your love for Jesus has grown cold. You're not despising Jesus, but you're not worshipping him and adoring him as we ought to do. Communion will help us today. And this wonderful song will inspire us today to love and follow and serve our Savior better. Firstly, despised. Secondly, rejected by men. The second cause of the sorrow of Jesus is rejection by men. It's an unusual use of men in the Old Testament. It's set in contrast to man. It's emphasizing the isolation of Jesus. All men rejected him. Mankind as as a whole, he was rejected by men. Left them in his own, isolated. The word rejection also points to this isolation. It means to cease, to withdraw from to stop following, includes the ideas of cessation of fellowship, of support, of sympathy. Jesus was regarded as not being worthy to be treated as a man, to be in the company of men, to have the following of anyone. He was rejected by men. This prophecy was fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus, wasn't it? He was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. They took him to the brow of the hill and wanted to throw him down. He was rejected in Gad- Gadara, a Gentile region, by being asked to leave that country. Crowds left him in his trial by Herod and Pilate. He stood alone at his crucifixion. He was abandoned by most, rejected by men. No sympathy. But ridicule poured down on him by the Roman soldiers, by his fellow crucified, and by religious leaders around the cross, which we read off in Matthew 27. God's beloved son, rejected by man. We are constantly witnessing the rejection of groups or peoples in our society, as revelations emerge about groups or people, so there is a rejection of them by society. Matt Mosley, Harry Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Jimmy Savile, we are witnessing the rejection of the leading ruling party in our country as local elections are showing people turning away from the Conservative Party to other parties. We understand in many cases such so rejection, but not this one perfect the sinless the holy the loving the only savior being rejected it maybe helps us this phrase does it it means that rejection by others is not always our fault maybe people have despised you and it's not your fault jesus here was totally faultless the cause of this withdrawal from his company, from following him, was totally the fault of others. And so don't beat yourself up too quickly over someone not speaking to you, or someone despising you, or someone criticising you. Have a quick look at your character and behaviour, and then move on. For sometimes the fault is not in you, but in others. That's not arrogance. That's the way of Jesus. In Psalm 35 and Psalm 69, he cites on more than one occasion, they hated me without a cause. In contrast to this rejection of Jesus, we're going to receive him in communion today by faith. As we take the bread, as we drink the wine, We're indicating our reception of Jesus into our life. In communion today, we're declaring to others, to ourselves, to the world, that we want Him, we need Him, and we are taking Him by faith into our lives as our Savior, as our Lord. Thirdly, avoided from whom men hide their faces. The third cause of sorrow for Jesus is men hiding their faces from him. This is an advance on the previous sources of sorrow, despised and rejected. This is a physical, this is a visible action. The previous two causes of sorrow were internal and emotional, despised and rejected. They both describe attitudes of the human heart. But this is external. This is a noticeable action. This is people floating by their feet, from whom men hide their faces. There is a marginal reading that perhaps you have noticed, and the marginal reading in the ESV is, he hid his face from us. This reading is in the sense of embarrassment, shame. The point is illustrated in Leviticus 13.45, where a leper is to partially hide his face from the people that he meets covering part of his face with his hands or a scarf in mourning or in warning or in shame. Sometimes we have held our hands in shame or deep sorrow. We don't want others to see the color of our face, the tears on our cheeks. So Jesus, perhaps the sin bearer, hid his face. And while that is a legitimate rendering of the Hebrew text, the reading in our main text here is better. It conforms with the context and the thrust of this verse. Men hid their faces from him. There are times when we avoid people, when we cross the street to avoid meeting them, or when we will not meet their eye. Such were the false accusations levelled against Jesus. Such was the fear of the Pharisees that many of the people believed the rumors about Jesus, obeyed the religious leaders, and avoided him. They hid their face from him. Many ceased having any relation with Jesus, for they did not consider him important enough for them. The disciples even forsook him and fled in embarrassment and disappointment. And in fear. One line of thought about Israel's policy on Gaza, intent on rooting out all the Hamas leaders and turning its bombing campaign on the south of the country where they believe Hamas leaders have fled to, is that the rising number of civilian casualties will turn political opinion away from them. Political leaders will stop supporting them. They will hide their faces From them. But at communion today, we're showing our faces. We are here in support of Jesus. We're publicly declaring our allegiance to Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And what we are doing for Jesus today, we're to do for Jesus tomorrow in our school, in our workplace, in our family. What we do for Jesus. We should do for all of his people. Let's not hide our face from fellow believers. Let's love them. Let's support them. Let's encourage them. Let's meet with them. Fourthly, unappreciated. The last phrase is, esteemed him nothing. For source of sorrow for Jesus is that he was esteemed as nothing. That is the nation of Israel set No value on him. They judged that he was not worthy of their notice, of their affection, of their following, of their time, of their regard. It's an advance on despising, isn't it? And rejecting and hiding the face. Sometimes we might despise a person but admire qualities in her. Sometimes we might reject the company of a person but mention some good points about them. Sometimes we will avoid a person, hide our face from them, but realize that that person is gifted. But here there is despising and rejection and avoiding and an estimation of him being of zero value esteemed him nothing. The phrase esteemed him nothing is an accounting term. Alec Moutier explains it as when all the human eyes saw and the human mind apprehended was added up, the result was zero. Even though Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and evidenced that claim in his miracles, he was still judged. To be zero, to be nothing, they esteemed him nothing. Everything he did was trivialized. When we are hurt by someone or disagree with someone or are angry with someone, we can see no good in them. We put a bad spin on everything she does. We interpret every action in a negative way. So it was with Jesus. He healed a man's paralyzed hand and he's called a Sabbath breaker. He cast out demons and they say he's doing it by the power of Satan. The nation of Israel saw nothing, nothing virtuous, nothing admirable in Jesus. That culminated in the cry of the people, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Instead of Jesus, they esteemed him nothing we've used the phrase I could put no value on a carpentry tool, it's so useful to me, on a very good friend, the counsel that they give me on a treasured possession, so helpful it is the people put a value on Jesus and that value was nothing it was zero family friend was not picked to represent Ireland recently. She has been picked previously, but missed out on selection for this recent tournament. She was devastated by this, to think that she was considered not good enough, having given her best in the trials. Jesus was considered of no value by his people, irrelevant, without authority, somebody to be ignored. But in contrast today, we think that Jesus is everything. We agree with the value of heaven today as they sing, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. He alone is our Savior. We delight in communion today because Jesus is precious to us. Like the Apostle Paul, we say, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this title of Jesus, a man of sorrows, is explained to us by the the surrounding aspects of the verse. These rivers running into his heart. Despised, rejected, avoided, unappreciated. As we sit before God today and stand in his presence, we realize he is the one that we need. This verse assures us of his true humanity. He suffered. He experienced sorrow. He's no robot. He's no AI production. He is truly human. He felt the rejection. He was a man of sorrows. That grief, that pain, it entered into him. He felt it. He's truly human. And we need someone truly human in our place. Obeying God's law perfectly in our very shoes. Doing what you and I cannot do. We hire a painter, don't we? A plumber, an electrician. We could try the painting. We could try fixing the leaking pipe. We could try hooking up the cooker. We know we'll make a mess of it. We'll fail. We'll burn the house down. We need someone who can do what we cannot do. But we need someone who who, who takes our place, who stands exactly in our shoes. And here he is the man of sorrows, truly human, living perfectly before God. And when we trust in Him, when you and I, however young we are, however old we are, however much sin we've committed, when you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, His perfect life is given to us. And all our sins are covered over by that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, truly God. Truly, man, in our place.